Happy Mother's Day, moms. It's really been a good week. God working, moving in our lives. And I'm sure if you were asked what is one of the best memories you have with your mom, you could speak for minutes, possibly hours, of all that your mom's meant to you in your life. And I have one in particular story I'd love to share with you this morning. Summer of 1993, I was serving as the student pastor at First Baptist Church in Joplin, Missouri. Well, that summer, we took a mission trip to uh, Bally Center, Kansas. I don't know if you know where that's at. It's right by Wichita, where my parents have lived for a long time. And two of my student ministry mentors, Doug Irvin and Bill Tucker, were serving on staff at Calvary Baptist at that time. So we went, uh, students and adults and all, having just a, a great week where there were nighttime revivals for students, reaching out uh, to those, having services, seeing students come to Christ. And following that, they had a gym, and so we would always play basketball. Every night we'd play basketball. That was our routine. And so one particular night, Wednesday, we were uh, playing basketball, and I was guarding an offensive lineman for the Valley Center High School uh, football team probably guarding a little bit too closely, as he turned to make his pass, his palm kept going and hit me right in the eye. So I closed my eye, didn't see any blood. I'm wondering if something happened, and I thought, well, I better go in the bathroom and take a look. And everyone initially was concerned, but they didn't really see it happen. They just heard it happen. So I went in the bathroom. When I did, I opened up my eye, and sure enough, this huge gash uh, was between my eyeball and my uh, my eyebrow. And I thought, oh my gosh, here it goes. It's bleeding like crazy. So they took me to the emergency room. Well, guess who they called? My mom. That's right. Uh, Deanna Ray, your son's been in an accident. What does that mean? Go to the emergency room. He just has a cut in his eye. And so there I am laying on this gurney or whatever they call it in an emergency room. And the nurse was administering the shot. By the way, if that ever happens to you, there really isn't anything but skin and bone right in that spot. So it's pretty painful. And I'm sitting there, and I start to cry. My mom, what's wrong? I was 23 years old. What's, what's wrong? Well, with this, with this cut in my eye, no woman's ever going to want to love me. I'm never going to get married. So how did my mom respond to that? Condemnation? You're being overdramatic. Nope. Did she agree with me? Oh, my gosh. You're right, this seals your fate, you're done. You're never getting <laughs> married. Nope, that wasn't it either. What'd she do? She sat, she cried with me, told me that God loved me, that she loved me, that she and my dad, who had been praying for my spouse since I was a first grader, believed that God would one day bring that woman, who may even think that scar was cute, well, little did I know, five and a half years ago, sure enough, Tiffany, who loves the scar, God brought into my life. My mom was absolutely right. Moms, your sacrifice for your kids, from the laundry to dishes to making sure that uniform is clean to being the taxi driver to the sleepless nights, to loving with the depth of your life, your kids, your spouse, 
for pouring yourself out, realizing that you're not just raising kids, you're raising adults to make a kingdom difference in this world. For your vision, your mission, your sacrifice, all that you are and do for your family, you are the most underappreciated, unnoticed person possibly that's ever walked the planet. Sometimes you feel that more than others. In spite of that, you realize that God sees you, right? In your sacrifice, in your love, in the way you pour your life out, though you may not hear it often verbally from your family, God sees you. Moms, thank you. Bottom of my heart, thank you for sacrificing your life for the sake of Christ and for your family. You are making a significant difference in the lives of those closest to you. And while you may not hear it out of their mouths often now, one day, they will come back and they will realize, my goodness, the sacrifice, not only if God gives them kids of their own, but even if he doesn't, about the tireless hours and devotion. Happy Mom's Day. We love you. Thank you. Today's passage is really very well in line with this Mother's Day. Um, the story of Abram and Sarai, who in their old age, yet to conceive, Abram, almost 100 years old, and Sarai, 10 years behind at about 90, still believing the promise that God would one day give them a son. Before we can dive into Genesis 15, 1 through 6, which is where we're going to spend our time today looking at how God speaks, his presence is known by awakening, promises focus us, focuses us, and how his truth acknowledges faith. Uh, we need to pray together, so let's do that. God, this morning, we pray that as we look into your word, Genesis 15, that you would continue to help us to know your presence, which does awaken us. Your promise, which does focus us. And your provision, which acknowledges our faith. God, help us in these moments. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Genesis 15, 1 through 6 is where we are going to spend our time uh, this morning. And so let's begin by reading those verses together, and then we'll start working through it. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted to him as righteousness. So just before this in Genesis 14, if you know the history of Abram, what was taking place, Lot and his family and many from that community had been taken captive 
by these kings that were having this war and dispute. And so once word got to Abram, he knew that he needed to do something. He needed to step in. So he, with 318 of his trained servants, went to rescue Lot. Well, it was successful. And not only that, they routed these kings where they left all of their monies, everything that they had behind for Abram to be able to call for his own. Well, instead of doing that, Later in that chapter, we see that he gave a 10% tithe to the king of Salem, who was his priest, his lead, and the other 90% he returned to Sodom, the king of Sodom. He did that intentionally because he did not want to receive credit or for anyone on the planet to think that he received something from someone else other than it be God. And so he released all of that back and continued. Well, somewhere between Genesis 14 and 15, the white space that existed there, Abram began to have fear and doubt, knowing that these kings had long memories of what took place. So his routing them in that, he knew that this potentially could come back on him. He also was wondering, God, you said that I would have a son. When is this happening? And so he began to swirl the drain a little bit, wondering what was going on, and then what happens? God shows up. His presence awakened Abram's faith. In a vision, fear not, I am your shield. So in the midst of his struggle, of his wondering, how in the world in the future am I going to be protected? God promises him that he would be his shield. How is your fear level today? Where are you proverbially swirling the drain in your life, wondering, is God's presence real? We know the shield of faith, Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, is designed to do what? Extinguish the arrows of the evil one. And so from a spiritual armor perspective, a lot of times we may go out and we may not be prepared for what's coming because we haven't taken up our shield of faith. God's saying to Abram in this moment, I will be your very shield and i will protect you from this in fact you have many more years of life left in that moment abram's life changed if you look back at previous chapters when we read of abram and what took place he often when he would encounter the lord because he did listen to his voice he was obedient he would build an altar in those places to remember the moment that took place between he and God. Well, pressing forward, how did Abram respond? By getting on his face before the Lord. When we experience the presence of God, it puts us in a different place, way beyond obedience. Relationship with God Most High. Seeing his holiness and being drawn to him in that and realizing in the midst of it our own sin, our own struggle, our own issue. And so what is our natural response to him when now, after our faith has been awakened and he shows up, it's on our faces. It's a heart and a lifestyle of gratitude to him instead of one of arrogance and pride. One of the biggest barriers to salvation for individuals is just that, pride. Well, we see in Genesis 15, 6, Paul's writings in the New Testament, in particular Romans, flows out of this concept by grace, through faith. We see in Ephesians 2, 
8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Now we know later in James in chapter 2, he talks about works being an evidence of Christ being in our lives and making a difference on this planet. So we run to that as well. But works don't have anything to do with our salvation. We can't do anything to earn it. It is the gift of God. What our call is, is to surrender our lives to him, asking for forgiveness, repenting, and turning away. That's what Paul talks about. It's threaded throughout the New Testament, as is Jesus threaded throughout the entire Bible, Genesis to Revelation. It's his story. And so we see Paul taking this Genesis 15, 6, this verse in particular, and talking about, sharing about what salvation truly is and the difference it should make in our lives. If you know Saul becoming Paul's story as well, awakened on the road to Damascus. God radically showed up in his life and he was changed and he was different, gave him a new name. We see later also Abram and Sarai given new names, Abraham and Sarah. So God, when he shows up, his presence awakens faith. We also see that God's promises focus our faith or God's promise focuses our faith. One of the reasons we spend time in God's word, one of the reasons we memorize it, apply it to our lives, one of the reasons we spend time fasting, we spend time in prayer with him is to do what? So we can so empower our lives, so we can so know his presence, so we can be focused on who he's called us to be relationally and according to his word, that we can make a difference in the lives of those that we're around. He focuses us when our focus gets off track. And let's be honest, all of us wrestle and struggle with losing focus. Your life, once you leave this room today, looks like what? What about the entirety of the week? Today through Sunday morning of next week. Does Christ really impact your life in the day-to-day, moment-to-moment? Or is this it for you? If that's your life and this is all you're getting relationally with him, once a year, weekly, whatever it looks like, and you're not engaging him and allowing him to engage you in the course of every moment of every day, you're missing his best for your life. That's not what the Bible talks about being authentic, genuine relationship that we have with him. And if you're missing it, he has better for you than what you're experiencing. He wants you to be focused in your faith, focused on him solely, the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. So how's your focus? Abram needed to get focused. He was struggling. And God brought his promise. Verse 3, and Abram said, behold, Abram speaking again, twice sharing issues that he has. You give me no offspring. God, you haven't come through. I don't have a baby yet. I'm pushing 100. And a member of my household will be my heir, Eliezer. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. It's interesting in God's response that he doesn't mention Eleazar by name. This man, he says, shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Have confidence in me, Abram. I'm coming through as I promised. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven. See the number of the stars. Now, if we remember again previously, what did God communicate to Abram about the son coming from uh, them? God giving them the son. What was it? The dust of the ground shall be, if you could count it, the number of those who will follow you from your family line. Now he's saying, count the stars if you can. Look outside. Look at heaven. 
the number of them, so shall your offspring be. A better day is coming, Abraham. Firm up. Put your confidence in me. Put your trust fully in me. I will answer. And then we see in verse 6, one of the best verses, again, in the entirety of the Bible. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. God was providing, acknowledging his faith in him, whom later would be included in Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. This man who was not perfect. If you want a quick picture of who this man really was, read Genesis 12 through 18, the entirety of it, and you'll see he still struggled and wrestled big time, made really poor decisions. He is not the ultimate example, but he was still a man of faith. Acknowledged that faith in him. And Abram's life, now Abraham, turned. And he began to acknowledge God in ways in his own life, people group, who God was to him. Substantial, significant difference. If you can, turn in Romans chapter 4 in your Bibles. Again, mentioning Paul earlier of how he spoke of Abraham. Now, maybe it's been a while since you've read this chapter. It would also be worthy of your time. We're going to begin in verse 13 of Romans chapter 4. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the, the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. In other words, the law shows us, obviously, absolutely, that we are sinners, that we have sinned. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist in hope. He believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Once again, the ridicule that Abraham and Sarah must have taken from people. You are insane. At 100 years old, 90 years old, God's going to give you a child? Now, Abraham lived to be 175, Sarah 127, but still... You people are insane. What are you doing? So he heard all of these voices around him that were swirling, challenging him, but his, his faith got firmly fixed. Verse 19, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. There it is. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up 
for our trespasses, our sin, and raised for our justification to be made right. Abram was considered righteous. If we have surrendered our lives to Jesus, we too, by him, are seen as righteous. It goes beyond right living or right position in essence. It is God speaking directly to us, the righteousness of Christ covering our lives. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. But God, being rich in mercy. Do we see it? To you, God has been rich in mercy. Praise God. How rich in mercy are you for others? Until you put yourself and your feet in someone else's shoes, right? How rich are you in mercy for those around you? Because of the great love with which he loved us, how is your love meter for others? What if God held his arson against us individually? Or, for instance, if our sin by name were plastered on the walls in this room for everyone to see, where would we go? Either underneath the chair, we'd go running. God, who is rich in mercy, rich in love, we too should be rich in mercy, rich in love. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, at our ugliest and our worst, he loved us. He gave us mercy when we didn't deserve it. Made us alive together with Christ. If we have surrendered our lives to him, we are not dead in our sin anymore. We're alive in him. What does your life look like? You ever see believers that just walk around, followers of Jesus that claim it, and here's their expression all the time? Or they stand back and they shake the finger? Or they criticize and that's all that comes out of their mouths? There's never grace, never mercy, never love. It's this. You tell me one lost person that's drawn to you. One. Name one. We're supposed to be the fragrance and aroma of Jesus to a lost and dying world. We should be saturated with God's mercy, grace, and love. Not this. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. It is not of us. It is of him. So how are we extending his grace? God works in the same way in our lives today that he did in the life of Abram. There's a great quote by Dallas Willard, then I've got a story and I'll be done. Uh, Dallas Willard wrote this. Faith is not a wild, desperate leap. It is confidence grounded in reality. It is as Hebrews 11.1 1 says, substance and evidence or proof, not as contemporary translations often have it, subjective psychological states such as being sure of or having conviction of listen to this to, to have faith in god is to trust him and have confidence in him that is faith so friday started like any other day got up i have the joy of waking our family up i, I love doing it uh, it's fun so i go room to room different times of the morning and seven o'clock we're jumping in the car. If it's 7.04, kids are going to be late to school, so we got to get moving. So I'm that time guy, too. So we get in the car, do our Bible study. That's our pattern. 
Uh, every morning we spend time, the three of us, Tieran, my oldest, Ethan, my middle, and I, reading the Bible, and then we spend, t- spend time in prayer together. So this particular morning, Philippians 1, 7 through 13, uh, was read, prayed, and then we started flipping channels on the radio, thinking we want, you know, something uh, you know, good to come. And so couldn't find anything. So Tieran from the back seat, hey, Dad, yeah? Why don't you turn on the CD? That's right. 2006 Honda Pilot. I still have a CD player. That's right. So I said, okay, flip it on. Uh, CD number four, song 24. Last one on that CD, it's Hard Love uh, by Need to Breathe. So we're rocking out, rolls into CD5. What's CD5 for us? Worship. And so a great song by a group called Rivers and Robots, which is just crazy. We have overcome uh, this, uh, this awesome worship song comes on. And Tieran said, I don't know that I recognize that. Ethan and I know it because we listen to it quite a bit. Oh, it's just he and I. And then it rolled through a couple of other songs, uh, the last one being Sixpence None the Richer. You may remember that group from back in the day. Uh, great song on uh, communion, relationship with God. And so we all in one voice are singing these songs. Have you ever been in a place where it's just like the presence of God is right there? Like you're at the feet of the throne in that moment. You're right there. That was me Friday. Driving, thank heavens not closing my eyes, right at the feet of the throne of God, worshiping. So Tieran got out, took Ethan, he got out. I'm driving to Hen House. Wanted the moment to continue. Well, I got to Hen House and I thought, okay, I'm going to sit in the parking lot for a little bit and I'm just going to worship. Well, guess what? My CD player, again, being a little old, glitched. That was it. Dang it. I guess I'm going to Hen House. So there I went. Back to the meat market. Well, there he is, working. Meat market guy. Putting out the chicken. I just want some ground beef. Started talking. Yeah, I'd like to get some meat. Okay, all right. Well, hold on a second. I'm getting this okay. Goes back. I ask my question that I always ask. I like talking to people. Now, whether they like it or not, I don't know, but I do. So I asked him, well, how's your morning going? Well, okay. Oh, something happened? Well, I got some not so good news on a Monday. I said, what's going on? Well, my dad, they found a mass in between his pancreas and his gallbladder, and so they're going to have to go in and do chemo. And we were shaking in the moment. I'm still kind of shaken by that, but, um, uh, but we think he's going to be okay. And, and then they'll go in and take it out when the chemo's done. I said, oh, what's your dad's name? How old is he? Has he ever had health issues before? I just started asking questions. No one else is at the meat market. It's early in the morning, so I had that chance to talk with him. I said, well, we've never introduced ourselves, really. Uh, you're Carrie. My name's Darren. Hey, it's really good to meet you. What's your dad's name again? Ed. Great. Hey, would you give me the privilege of walking through the store and praying for you guys, for you and your dad? Um, I'm a pastor and would love that opportunity to do that. Um, he said, yeah, he said, I, I appreciate that. And then glove and all goes out for the pound, right? He's got the gloves on because he's working with meat. So I give him the pound. I'm praying for you. I walk through the store. I do what I promised. I pray for he and his dad. I'm still praying for them. I pray for them this morning. Get done there. Go to Costco. Fill up with gas. Walk into Costco. Go back to the photo area. Guess who's working? Kyle. This will all make sense at the end. Trust me. (laughs) Kyle's working. I built a relationship with Kyle for about a year and a half. Kyle, how's it going? He's hurrying doing his work. Oh, it's you know, it's graduation, and so I'm thousands of prints. And I could see how that would be. Uh, my gosh, well, well, how are things going? Well, you're not going to see me for about six weeks. I said, what's going on? I'm having elbow surgery. Really? Well, how are you dealing with that? Well, it's okay, but my wife's, my wife's not here. She's not going to be with me. I said, how come? She's in Florida. Why is she in Florida? Well, she's with her dad, Alex, who 
who isn't doing well. He's getting ready to die. I said, oh my gosh, Kyle, I didn't know. And he said, well, and then this week, my brother-in-law, who is like my brother-in-law, but he isn't really, uh, he's getting ready to have brain, brain surgery. They're going to cut his skull open. He's got brain cancer. Oh, my land, Kyle, I didn't know. Can I pray for you? He said, yeah. I said, okay. So I picked up Ethan from school later. We got him a card. Got him some Chick-fil-A gift cards because he didn't, in our conversation, I asked if I could bring him a meal. He said, oh, it's okay. My kid's got me covered. So I got him those, wrote in the card. Our family loves you and cares about you. If you need me, here's my phone number. Reach out, whatever you need. Praying for your family. We care about you. Okay. So what's the point? That morning in the vehicle, unexpectedly, God showed up. His presence awakened my faith that morning in the car. His promise of what we were singing to him focused me. I'm focused. I wasn't walking in thinking I'm going to have 15,000 opportunities to share the gospel. If they're there, great. But I was focused walking in that door at both of those places. And then his provision of what he did in my own life in those moments acknowledged faith and gave me the opportunity to speak and ask questions. That is what we're talking about this morning. How long has it been since the presence of God has been so real to you personally that you've known it was him? How long has it been since you've been so focused in your faith that you've walked in and you've been ready? And how long has it been since you've even acknowledged him verbally with people that are around you that you know God? Do people see a difference in your life or not? If they don't, you're blowing it. I'm not talking about having to be a baptist for God everywhere, every time, every time we speak quoting scripture walking in the doors. I didn't quote any scripture with those guys. I'm talking about being in a position in our hearts and our lives where we are open to God moving, whether he chooses to open up those doors for us or not, that's up to him. But we do have a responsibility to speak and be sensitive to his Holy Spirit as we're walking. How long has it been? Has it ever happened for you? Ever? Does anyone come up to you and say, what's different in your life? There is something that you've got that I don't. I need it. And for you to be able to communicate with them, it is God. Ever? Man, ever? School? Stores? Work? Neighbors? Anywhere? Anybody? If not, you are not being who God has called you to be. And maybe it's because you're living in fear and you're living in doubt. Listen, God wants you to hear his voice today. And he wants you to, to, to get this. You are no longer to live in fear and doubt, but in confidence in who? In him. If you have a relationship with Jesus, he promises that confidence. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Really, what can they do to you? Fire you? Give you an F in school because you're speaking for Jesus? Build a fence around their house so you can't ever have a conversation? Kick you out of Target? Come on. God has much bigger for us than we realize, doesn't he? Were it only for us to live in the grace 
into the mercy and in the love of Jesus. Would we? Would you?